0: Well again, good morning and welcome to Christchurch. My name is Aaron Foster and I have the pleasure of serving here with our high schoolers, which means I serve on the family team so I get to work closely with Sherry, which is probably a much better experience for me than it is for her. But if you see her boys somewhere in the hall today, give them a high five because they did an awesome job. Friends, I am so happy to be with you on the last weekend of Christmas, somebody or Christmas of the year. Um, somebody told me that Christchurch saves the best for last, so I guess I'll let you guys be the judge of that in just a moment. But friends, um, I would love for us to be joined together in um, studying the word today. And so the, the scripture that we're going to be listening to is, comes from the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles with you or you use a Bible app on your phone or you just want to follow along on the screens, do so as I bring to us um, Matthew 2 verses 1 through 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, here at Christ Church, over the last month, we've been exploring this idea of Christmas presents. And through studying the Advent story found in Scripture, we've been focusing on the attitudes and the postures of the people to whom God has made himself fully present. We've been doing that so that we can adopt these same types of mindsets and that we can recognize and be present to the types of people who are living out those lifestyles here in our midst here. So first we studied the uh, stories of Elizabeth and Zechariah, two people whom we meet in a period of deep yearning. And we were challenged by their experience to understand what it means to truly yearn for the presence of God in our lives. We were also challenged by society's lowest of the low at the time, the shepherds. Through their humility and faithfulness, God uses them, lifts them up to use them to alert the world of the coming of the Messiah. From the stories of Simeon and Anna, we were moved to invest in our relationship with God in order to experience his presence more fully now and for generations to come. And just this past week on Christmas Eve, we were met with the comfort of the truth that God makes his presence here amongst the messy, the disorder, and the ordinary and regular moments of our life. See, Mary and Joseph, we often remember them as the holy family, but they were really just regular, ordinary, messy people just like the rest of us. But God still chose them to bring his son into the world. And so today we're going to be looking at a few reactions that people had to the coming of the Messiah through the stories of the Magi, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and also King Herod we will get to understand what it means to seek God and what it looks like to to understand that we know that God's presence is available to those who do seek him. Now in our modern language, the word seek usually indicates some sort of importance or that something's vital in our lives. We don't spend much time seeking things that don't, that we don't really care about, right? I spent a lot of Uh, time over the last month, and I'm sure many of you did as well, searching for that perfect Christmas gift for that family member, in this case my mom, who is impossible to shop for. But I don't think that I would say that I spent time seeking that gift. With my involvement with our high school students here at Christchurch, I get to see firsthand the juniors and seniors in our group preparing for the post-high school world. It's in this, these years that they're making some of the biggest decisions of their life so far, and so they seek guidance from their parents, their teachers, their counselors, older siblings. When they're desperate, they might come to me. But they do this to help them make the best choices for their futures. It's an important thing in their life. Also, I have a bunch of family that live in Houston, Texas, and we know in August of 2017, Hurricane Harvey came through and devastated the Houston area. That month I heard story after story from my aunts, uncles, cousins, brother and sister-in-law of how the city rallied around the people that were displaced and how they themselves had to seek shelter as their homes were flooded and damaged by the storms. You can see just from these quick examples that we only seek things that carry weight for us. In fact, that process for our seeking actually takes a different appearance than just a simple search does as well when the stakes are higher like when we need to seek shelter or we need guidance for an important life decision we will naturally go to greater lengths to find fulfillment for that scripture also has a lot to say about the idea of seeking christ and the passages that talk about seeking also play into that importance of what it means to seek Deuteronomy 4:29 says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and all of your soul. In Matthew 6, Jesus instructs us to seek first the kingdom of God. Essentially encouraging us to prioritize our relationship with God first and foremost before anything else in our lives. The prophet Jeremiah relaying what the Lord had put on his heart through a prophetic vision says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Those are just a few of the many places that the word shares that importance of seeking. Today's passage offers some tangible examples of what it looks like to seek Christ, but also examples of some of the barriers that slow us down in our pursuit to get to to know him more deeply. And so as we look at this passage again, we're going to first get to know some of the main characters, the main players of this story, Uh, the Magi, King Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law. First of all, the Magi. They came to Jerusalem from the far east to ask King Herod where it is they could find this new king of the Jews because they saw this brilliant star in the sky and they immediately set out because they knew that such a brilliant star could only indicate one thing, the Messiah. The Magi, they were traditionally called the three kings or the wise men. We've heard songs about that all the time. But they likely were not actually royalty but instead they were the counselors or the instructors for the Persian kings. We don't exactly know who they were or if there were indeed only three of them, but some scholars give them the name Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. So if it's easier for you to say those names instead of Magi, go right ahead. I'm not going to, because I'm not confident in that. But historians believe that the Magi were actually dedicated historians themselves and also astrologers. They would always spend time watching the skies and studying the patterns and the movement of the stars. In those times, a lot of people believed in the importance of astrology, that one's own life could be foretold by the star under which they were born. And so if you add to all of that the expectedness that was written about by historians like Suetonius and Tacitus, that a ripple of belief and hope in this coming Messiah was moving all through the Roman Empire and beyond. With that excitement of the expectedness and this brilliant star, the Magi really had all they needed for impetus to travel across the world to seek the truth. Because that's essentially what the Magi were. They were truth seekers. They had this deep and innate desire to know the truth, to find the truth through their studies of history, the holy scriptures, astrology, and it was that same desire, that priority that led them to this adventure to Jerusalem. Now King Herod, he was a non-Jewish politician who the Romans had appointed to be king of Judea, and he actually got dubbed King Herod the Great because he had found quite a bit of favor among the people in his kingdom. You see, throughout his reign, he was one of the only leaders of that area to be able to establish peace and order for a significant amount of time. He was known for rebuilding the temple and restoring it to its, its grandeur. And he was in charge of a lot of the building uh, progress and infrastructure improvements of that time. Herod was also known to be a pretty generous king, believe it or not. In difficult times, he had been known to lower or even pause taxation so the people could ride the storm a little bit more easily. In a period of great drought or famine even, it has been documented that Herod took his own gold items and melted them down so that he could purchase food for the poor in the community so that they could eat. Now, before we start thinking about how nice it must be to be known for such upstanding and moral politicians like King Herod, we have to examine his other side because there is certainly another side of King Herod. and This is kind of where the legends grow about King Herod. He was irrationally and highly suspicious of anyone who threatened his power. He was so deeply infatuated with his throne that he did away with anyone, and I mean anyone in his life, who he believed could compromise what he had built for himself. So We're going to quickly go through just a short list of the people who he had murdered because he thought they were a threat. First of all, his wife, Mariamne, his mother-in-law, Alexandra, Antipater, his oldest son, and Alexander and Aristobulus, two of his other sons. He was so terrible and self-adoring that King Herod ordered one hun- hundreds of Jerusalem's most distinguished citizens to be killed after his own death, because he knew that nobody would mourn his passing, but he still wanted tears to be shed at his funeral. The Roman Emperor Augustus has been quoted as saying, it is far safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. So in light of that side of King Herod, we can start to read a few of the verses from today's passage a little bit more accurately. Verse 3, for example, After the Magi come and share the news of the born king and their quest to find him, It says this, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So it's clear to us now that he was disturbed because he was afraid of losing his power to this new king. And all of Jerusalem, every citizen in the city, was terrified of their king's volatility amidst this new and profound threat to his throne. And then, obviously, when King Herod sends the Magi out to go find the new baby and report back so that he too can go and worship we know that it's probably a little bit more accurate to replace the word worship with the place with the word murder. And finally, when Herod asked the Magi how long it had been exactly since they first saw the star, it was because he was using that time frame as a cutoff age for his decree to kill all the firstborn sons in Bethlehem. Herod was a violent and unstable and truly self-obsessed ruler, to say the least. Now briefly in the story, we also get a look at the attitude of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Because of their deep knowledge of the holy scriptures, we read that Herod invites them in to tell him where it is prophesied that this new baby would be born. And quickly they recite the passage from memory where Micah describes the, the birthplace to be in Bethlehem. And then we don't really hear from them anymore in the story. We can imagine that they come in, they do their job, and then they head right back out we'll get back to them in just a little moment here. But now that we've been introduced to some of the main players of this story, I want us to start to focus on their unique reactions to the news that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come. And as we do so, I'd like for us to overlay these reactions onto our own life and ask God where we might find some similarity or differences with how we react to God's presence. Growing up, I used to love to play with Legos. I'm sure a lot of you are with me in that. Maybe you still do, which is cool. Um, I remember dumping out this huge cardboard box onto the floor full of all the Lego pieces that I collected over the years and just getting lost in my imagination for hours. I constructed buildings and cars, boats, spaceships, you name it. And after I had finished constructing my little scene or town or society, I spent time playing out a pretend scenario in which I was the main character. I was the central character of my little scenario. And just like any little kid with Legos, I built the entire scene around me, of course. I was the final decision maker. I got to choose who the good guys were and who the bad guys were created these little kingdoms where I was the all-powerful ruler. Little did I know then that I was acting quite a bit like King Herod, although hopefully a little bit less violent. But Herod's worldview was hyper-focused on himself as the main character. And that's probably what fueled his suspicion and his fear that someone would come and take over his throne. The idea of someone else serving as a ruling power in his life had to be the the worst possible option that he could think of. In his mind, giving up authority meant weakness. Giving up authority meant losing freedom. It meant living a life that did not fulfill all of his personal desires. It didn't check all of his boxes that he wanted checked in his life. So with that in mind, it's no wonder that Herod's reaction to the news of the birth of Christ was full of fear and hatred and hostility. This new king of the Jews was a direct threat to Herod's throne. And Jesus was, frankly, interfering with his plan to maintain the rule over the people. And if he did not do something, he knew that he would soon lose his grip over the kingdom as Jesus grew older. Herod basically had no need for Jesus in his life. He was the ruler and he didn't know how anyone else could or should fill that role other than him. He built his life around himself and he was content with that so long as he was eliminating or at least keeping at bay all of the threats to his throne. And even amidst all the prophecy and the excitement and the curiosity of the birth of this new Messiah, King Herod had literally no desire to leave his throne to seek him quite literally in fact because Bethlehem is just a five mile trip south of Jerusalem and we get no indication that Herod stepped foot out of his throne room to go search for him instead he sets up an elaborate plan to trick the magi so that he can eliminate that threat to his comfort even if it means taking hundreds of lives with it now on the other hand we see the reaction of the magi who see, the far, who see the star from their land far in the east and immediately begin a two-year quest to seek the truth, the Messiah. After a long journey, they reach the humble apartment of Mary and Joseph and the toddler Jesus, and you can just imagine the confusion in the hearts of Mary and Joseph and their faces as the Magi come in in their fine clothes and bow before their son Jesus. Magi presented gifts to Jesus, gifts that they had brought with them their entire journey. These gifts were representative of the character and the identity of who this baby was. Gold, a a gift typically fit for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh, a gift for someone who is to die. You see, the humility and worship that they approached Jesus with was indicative of how the Magi postured their lives. As I mentioned before, the Magi were truth-seekers. So that means they didn't place themselves at the center of their lives, but instead that spot was reserved for a higher being, a higher power. The Magi did not see their lack of ultimate authority in their lives as weakness or limitation, but instead they knew that in seeking the truth, in this case in seeking Jesus Christ, they would be given miraculous strength and they'd be able to experience true freedom. Not only were the wise men willing to bow to a baby in humility, but they were willing to take the long road to go and seek him. I want to pause there for a moment and start to think about those reactions. Which of those do you feel like you live out most in your life? Do you find yourself clinging to your throne? Is the countercultural message of the gospel an interference in the way that you want to live your life? Do you find yourself unwilling to make the tough journey to seek Christ but only go as far as you feel comfortable? I have to confess that I could probably answer yes to each of those questions in different areas of my life. And so if you're anything like me, it's important that we can identify the throne that's in our lives. What are you clinging to in order to maintain control of? Is it prestige in your job? Is it financial gain? Is it raising that picture-perfect family, political allegiance, ensuring that you make the right college choice or that your children do? Is it networking, popularity, comfort? What are you prioritizing in a way that's keeping you from fully seeking Christ? See, when we identify that throne, we can start to use the example of the magi to shift towards living a life of someone who truly seeks Jesus. When we're seeking Christ, we allow the Lord to penetrate every aspect of our lives. Those who truly seek God look for him at work in every sector, in circle, every plan and decision, in the mess, in in the order, in the weakness, and in the strength. And on that seeking journey, they continue to grow and see him more frequently. Because Herod would not give up his throne, his power and authority over his life, he could not see the fruit Of a life with Jesus and in the same way when we are prioritizing another idol in our lives and we're putting in the same time and effort to maintain that priority we're blind to and frankly we do not have the time to grow in our relationship with Jesus now the Magi knew that truth could be found underneath the star and so in order to find confidence in our seeking We need to start where we are confident in his presence, the living and active word of God. Through prayer and constant conversation with him, through Christ-centered scripture, when we are approaching those regularly with humility and a willingness to be changed by the Holy Spirit, we can start to find confidence in our seeking in a way that builds in us the same desire for the Lord that the Magi displayed. Before we close, I want to go back to touch on the reaction of the chief priests and teachers of the law because I believe that they present a third reaction that we might relate to as well. As we know, this group was well-educated on the religious texts, and so they certainly would have recognized the current events happening at the time as the coming of the Messiah. They were presented with a massive, massive opportunity the moment King Herod called them in to offer him wisdom on the birth of Jesus. Because knowing the power that the scriptures attributed to this new baby, the chief priest could have worked to show Herod the importance of humility and true worship of this king. But they really were only interested in their own pursuit of truth. They were quick to point fingers at others' sinfulness. They were engrossed in the ritual and legal aspects of scripture. And they were likely and understandably afraid Of King Herod. Sometimes we get so comfortable in the way that we are seeking Christ that we leave others behind. We make excuses to stand idly by as opportunities to witness and bring others into the seeking journey come and go. Maybe there's a relationship in your life right now where you hold the same role and opportunity that the chief priests and teachers did. How can you seek Christ in that relationship in a way that allows the Lord to work through you as a witness to him. 13th century German theologian Meister Eckhart says this, if we are seeking God for our own good and profit, we are not seeking God. When we are setting our sights on maintaining our throne in a way that treats God as a stepping stone to our next achievement or disregards him completely, we are throwing out our opportunity to be affected and changed by his presence. Our God desires he longs to be at the forefront of our lives, our number one priority, because he knows the flourishing that we can experience when we allow ourselves to honestly seek his face. You see, it's not until we can follow the example of the Magi and earnestly seek Jesus' presence in our life that we, can, that we can fully understand how God works in our yearning how he's lifting up the lowly, how he is present to future generations, or how he is moving through the ordinary and mundane and messy moments of our lives. Seeking God does require a sacrifice of power and comfort, status and authority, but in exchange, we will be blessed by a power and love much greater than we could ever imagine. Would you pray with me? God, we are humbled by your presence. Lord, the fact that we can be here with you today is just an amazing act of your grace. Lord, we know that we do not deserve to be in your presence. We do not deserve your love, but because of your character, you have offered us grace, God. And in that grace, in that love, we find freedom, we find joy, we find hope. God, and I pray it's in your presence that we can continue to find our worth. God, may we be a people that goes and seeks your name, that seeks your face. God, that that we would not get caught up in our own agendas, priorities. That we would step into discomfort off of our thrones, Lord, to seek who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.